that moment that you step on top of the pops, your life completely changes. Kipple, and welcome to another episode of Live Through That, the companion podcast to my book of the same name. The book is a collection of portraits and in-depth interviews with some of my favorite 90s musicians. On this podcast, we'll use each episode to delve deeper into a single pivotal moment in the life of one of the artists from the book, as well as hear some of the things they're currently in love with. Today, we're talking to the former frontman of the Soup Dragon, Sean Dixon. He and his band scored a number of hits in the 90s, including Divine Thing, I'm Free, and Pleasure. He's lived quite a big life, and it's hard to point to just one pivotal moment, so Sean gives us two stories today, one on the moment he realized his band struck it big, and the other a more personal account about coming to terms with who you are. We had kind of lots of peaks, actually, before I'm Free. I mean, from the word go, the first thing that we released, which was a flexi-disc, got single of the week in the NME, which in the UK, you know, was a big thing, especially being on a flexi-disc that was free with a fanzine. And then from that moment, you know, we were getting like, you know, we, we were literally only together for a few months and we were getting like three page spreads and music papers uh so there was there was lots of that there was lots of pinnacles and then we started releasing records and they started doing well i mean i'm i'm free was the first um i suppose the first worldwide success as in less underground and more uh like a pop record um so yeah i mean i suppose that was the first that was more of a tsunami than a wave, to be honest. And that was, it was kind of insane. You know, it was, uh, you put the record out on a Friday and then next week you're on Top of the Pops, which is which was the big television show here in the UK. And that moment that you step on Top of the Pops, your life completely changes. I mean, I... I uh, was walking down the street like I usually do on a Saturday afternoon shopping and I had people following me and people asking for my autograph and things and and all that stuff um, only happened at concerts. It only happened, you know, with people who followed the band, but suddenly you were like a kind of public product. And then obviously when the videos started getting shown a lot on MTV, especially in the United States, um, I remember like in the USA, Divine Thing, which was uh, one of our singles, was the most played video of 1992. And you were constantly recognised like all the time. Um, and there was, there was even kind of crazy things like people... Um, sleeping outside your hotel room, literally chapping the door all night trying to talk to you, and me trying to get the hotel kind of security to get rid of them. And then there was like crazy things like underage girls 
following the tour bus in a car and then the tour bus stopping it in the middle of the night telling us that we need to try and get rid of them because if they cross the state line into, uh, I can't remember if we were going to Kansas, if we cross the state line, we would get put in prison. So, uh, yeah, there was lots of um, interesting mad tastes of what extreme fame could be like. I don't think we ever we ever tasted what you know huge fame is like, but we just managed to kind of see it from the outskirts and um, managed to kind of be like kind of rabbits in the headlight where we we jumped out the way of the car before the car hit us. I mean, I think you go through life and certain traumas in life direct you in different ways. I mean, I've I've had a few. Obviously, the breakup of the Soup Dragons, which wasn't a nice breakup. You know, that, that that's the thing I think quite sad is the end of the band wasn't a happy place due to one person. It wasn't due to the four of us. It was due to one person that caused... Uh, a rupture in the band that made the thing fall apart. But what I don't like was the fact that that person spoke, that person took the other two people with them on that journey. So it was basically me against three. And uh, that took me many, many, many years of mental anguish to get over. I don't actually think I'm even over that. Even though I still talk to two of the guys that were in the band, um, but not one particularly. Um, uh, it gave me many years of depression and 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 um, paranoia, basically, um, and self confidence issues. Uh, it took me a long time to get back to writing music again, and then I started the high fidelity. And then during the high fidelity, um, I started uh, exploring my sexuality because I thought I was bisexual. I met a man uh, who told me he was bisexual, which he wasn't, and um, was messing around with him, and which I thought was just a bit of fun for a few weeks, few months. Um, behind my wife's back, you know, that's that's the bad thing. It was behind my wife's back. She was uh, pregnant with my daughter at the time. And um, the man suddenly told me that he'd fallen in love with me, which... Which had changed, which suddenly changed everything completely. It was, um, it opened up many kind of doors in my in my in my being that I never thought was there, and it all kind of spiraled out of control. Um, to cut the long story short, I broke up with my wife, lost you know, lost my house, lost my home, lost all my friends. Lost everything, lost my whole ground base, lost a lot of my family as well. And it was, uh, I basically walked away with nothing and thinking that I had a new life to walk into. And then that person tells me, What the hell have you done? and walks away. So I was on my own. I was on my own um, for the first time in, since I was 16. You know, I had no partner, no nothing. I had to work out what. I suddenly was gay. I didn't think I was fully gay. I suddenly had to say, okay, then I'm, maybe I'm gay. You know, maybe I need to deal with this. And um, 
trying to put my life together, but then it all went tragically wrong when I spiraled down and down into a depression and took a, and took an overdose in the next minute wake up in a in an emergency ward. Um Luckily, the person that, that tried to phone me when I took the overdose and realised I was slurring on the phone was the person in a way that saved my life because he managed to get an ambulance round. Sadly, really sad story is a few years ago, he actually took his own life due to similar dealings with not being able to handle things. And then that really completely destroyed me. That was about three or four years ago. But he he made the phone call that managed to get the ambulance. It picked me up, and I woke up in a in a an emergency ward. And um, then I was then I was sectioned in a in a uh, sectioned in a, in a in a mental ward, or well, that's what they used to call them then. But it would be more of a psychiatric unit now. And I was basically there for like a week or two, locked up, and that's when I kind of managed to get my head around the fact that this was the lowest point that I'd ever reached in my life. Um, there was basically, there's no lower that you can go than that. So I I kind of took that as a positivity in my head, like, um, right, okay, this is this is ground zero. I need to I need to move from here. And then I managed to talk them into letting me go. Um, I told at that point I was actually um, I was actually co-running a a party at Glasgow School of Art with my friend and DJing every Thursday night with them at it, and it was lots of fun. It was a thing that kept me alive through all this hell. And um, I actually spoke to the doctor and said, "Well, listen, what have I told you that I want to leave this ward tonight now?" And I want to go straight to this club and DJ. That I'm trying to make an amends to what I've done in the last few weeks, and that I want to move forward. And and much to my luck, he actually agreed that that was actually a positive thing to do. And he said, "I'm going to take the chance. I'm going to do it. I'm going to let you go." And I did, and I went straight to the club and I DJ. I never told my my uh, DJ partner and person I co-ran the party with that. I was <laughs> I just spent the last two weeks or the last ten days, whatever it was, in a locked up in a psychiatric unit. And um, we used to have these amazing. He 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 is 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 somebody that I really respect so much. And um, we we used to sit after the club in my car, and um, he would he would really. Uh, help talk to me and I'd talk to him and he was it was it was he was so much help back then. But that was uh that was a defining moment because I started to feel like right I need to pull my life back together and I was scared. I was incredibly scared. I was by myself. I was um for the first time in my life, you know, there wasn't a band there, there wasn't a wife there, there wasn't a girlfriend there, there wasn't friends. There was, I had to start everything from scratch, you know, and, and, and you know, living in Glasgow, everybody knew my story, you know, everybody knew my story anyway beforehand with the band, but suddenly that story was new, what I'd, what I'd suddenly done, what I had, you know, what was going on with my life. And, and everybody knew my story. There was those that didn't like me because of it. And there was those that, that, that um, wanted to help. But um, 
after a few years, I met uh, a wonderful man over the phone through a friend who I uh, spoke to on the phone for three days. And, and we both fell in love with each other over the phone. We'd never met, we'd never seen each other. Um, we were sending pictures, but um, you, you, we, were, um, we were just in love with the person. You know, it was just like, I, you know, he said, I think I've fallen in love with you. And I said, I think I've fallen in love with you too. And he said, let's do something about it. And that was like on the Tuesday I first spoke to him. On the Friday, I got on a train. I went down to London and I never left his side since from that moment. And that day that we met on the Friday, we both looked at each other and just said, you know, we, I'm, I've never experienced anything like this before. He said the same and we jokingly said, okay, let's make a deal. If in five years' time this day, we're still together, let's get married. And we did. We got married uh, five years from that day. So the day we met and our anniversary the same day. Um, we've been together now for about uh, 11, 11 years. Sean is now an in-demand DJ and producer and goes by the name Hi-Fi Sean. He is still recording music too. His latest is a gorgeous record with David McCallman under the moniker McHi-Fi that will hopefully see the light of day in 2022. And now, without further ado, here are some of Sean's favorite things. Um, from a very young age, I've always been incredibly engaged with psychedelia, even if it's, you know, psychedelia within art, psychedelia within music, psychedelia within sound. You know, I've always, I've always searched for something that kind of, um, you know, takes things in another form or whatever the word psychedelia means. I mean, like like art, psychedelia means different things to different people. Um, to me, pop art is very psychedelic. Um, it doesn't just have to be all kind of like about 60s and 70s LSD type images or sounds or whatever. There's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of new psychedelia with electronic music and things. So I've always, I've always reached out for the, uh, for the kind of like uh, more, music sounds art from outer space type of vibe i think i've always been kind of obsessed with drum beats i feel that in my music production even now that i'm always one i mean i suppose it's the dj in me as well i'm always obsessed with uh drums drum sounds drum beats drum loops grooves you name it so um yeah that's 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 another thing that i seem to engage myself in number three is my complete love and adoration of john waters and everything he writes or everything that he um you know his movies it's just this whole being just this whole thing he had, he entered me into a world of trash aesthetics that was kind of a psychedelic trip on its own and um you know, I'm a huge fan, as you can tell by by some of the songs I've written. You know, which which have included uh, waters within the the writing. You know, um, on the on the Soup Dragons Love God album, there's a call the song called Beauty Freak, which is uh, it's kind of like the 
the homage to female troubles without, you know, um, the idea of beauty going too far and becoming like freaks, which is very now actually with the kind of Instagram aesthetics, etc. So uh, yeah, a, a big shout to Mr. Waters and uh, and obviously Divine Thing, Divine Thing, the Super Dragon single, Divine Thing, is basically a homage to uh, to the man himself. A complete lifelong obsession with the Suzuki Omnicord. Now, if you don't know what an Omnicord is, you need to uh, go online and listen to my band, The High Fidelity. We've done an album called The Omnicord Album, where every song was written and recorded on Omnicords, which was something that John Peel, the, the uh, British uh, radio DJ, said to me I should do. He said, you should do a whole album of Omnicord songs. And I said, yeah, will you, if I buy you an Omnicord for your birthday, will you write a song with me? So he wrote a song about his wife called Pig Might Fly, which is on that. So basically Omnicords, uh, when I was a kid, and we and, and I know you guys in the States as well had Woolworths. We had Woolworths in our town. And that basically was where we went to buy records but they also had this stand, um, this Omnicord stand, and um, I didn't have enough money to buy one, but I was just I used to go up there and play the Omnicord. But as soon as I got the point, got to the point where I could actually buy an Omnicord, I bought an Omnicord. I think on every record I've made in the last twenty, well, the last whatever years, I've included Omnicords. I'm, I'm, I, I just think it's the. The, I mean, like I think I think people in the past have used Omnicords. I think Bowie used a Omnicord in a track. I think uh, the Human League had an Omnicord in a track. Uh, I'm sure some other people, but um, I even got to the point where the company that own Omnicords, Suzuki, released a new version called the Q Chords, and this was back in about 2001. And they asked me if I would be the face and the kind of promoter of the new Q Chord. Um, and I stupidly said no. I can't believe I did that because I kind of thought, God, is it cool to be like a product placement thing? Whereas now, you know, people put music on everything, and they, you know, you people would jump at that. But like back then, it was kind of like, mm, do I want to be the face of just like a kind of product for a company? But God, talk about regrets. That's my biggest regret. I should have been the faces of the face of the Suzuki Q chord, telling everybody to buy one and uh, play one. Um, so yeah, the Omnicord. That's my number four. And uh, number five is dogs. I love dogs. I would have a hundred dogs if I could. I've got two, but I would have a hundred dogs. Um, I found my dog, my first dog, Fred, who's actually sleeping at my feet right now. Fred's got one eye, and one night I was late for DJing, uh, very late, because it, because the clocks had changed the time. And Mike said to me, you know, you do realise the clocks have changed? And I was like, oh, shit, I'm super late. So I, I, I jumped up ran out the block and he came with me because he wanted to go to the grocery store, ran out the block and um, then somebody goes, who does that dog belong to? And there's a little four-month-old puppy crawling about on a busy road with one eye, complete mess, looked like it you know, had been really mistreated and we picked it up. It was terrified and shaken. So I said to Mike, right, you take him in. I've got to go and DJ. And then I've got to DJ an after party. So I'm not going to be back till 10 in the morning. But when I get back at 10 in the morning, 
we are taking that dog to the dog pound, which in London is called Battersea Dogs Home. So he was like, cool, okay, I'll take him up. So as, he, as, as obviously he takes him up, the texts are going backwards and forwards. And one point he texted and he said, uh, I think the dog has just died. And when I read that text, I was driving. I drove into the back of somebody's car. And I'm not making this up. It was just a crazy night. Drove right into this guy's car. And luckily there was no damage. And this guy gets out and he just said, yeah, it's cool. And drove away. And then Mike texts, oh, no, 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 he's alive, he's alive, he's just scared. Because he, when he got him into the, the apartment, he just lay down and played dead, so we thought he was dead. Um, and as in the, as the day went on, the dogs, the dog was suddenly called, given a name. Mike said, Fred is just eaten, and I'm like, uh, who's Fred? And uh, he's like, uh, yeah, Fred, yeah, I need to give him a name. So anyway, to cut a long story short, I went back the next morning, and uh, we took Fred to the dog pound. I was the one that cried. When I handed the dog over, they just took him away and that was it. And I went, oh, do, do, do we get to find out what happened? And they were like, well, are you giving him up? And we're like, oh, yeah. And he was like, so they gave us a code. So about as days went on, I realised that Mike was a bit down. I was a bit down. And uh, we phoned him up and we said, could you tell us what dog two, four, five, seven, eight, three, two, whatever it was in the code. And they went, oh, Fred. And we were like, how do you know he's called Fred? And they were like, you said goodbye, Fred. So we called him Fred. They were like, everybody loves him here. And it was that point we just looked at each other and went, we're coming back for Fred. And this is where the story gets a bit strange. Um, <laughs> so we said, can we come and get Fred? And they said, well, he goes up for adoption next week because we have to keep him awake. So when you turn up on nine o'clock on Monday morning and I was like, we're getting married on the Thursdays. We were getting married like two days later. And I said, we're, we're going to be in Spain on the Monday on our honeymoon. And they were like, well, if you're not there, you don't get them. So I asked loads of people, all my friends, and none of my friends would do it. So I went onto Facebook and I'd literally just joined Facebook and I posted on Facebook, um, does anybody want to help me here? Can somebody turn up at nine o'clock in the morning on that Monday, get Fred before anybody else can get him because you'll fall in love with him and keep him for a week and we will we will reimburse you all the money, blah, blah, blah. Somebody suddenly sends me a private message and said, um, are you the person that brought Fred into Battersea Dogs Home? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, who are you? And he said, I'm the, I'm the manager of of the dog pound, I'm manager of Battersea Dogs Home. And I'm like, why are you my friend on Facebook? And he said, because I come to see you DJ. And he said, you want Fred? And I'm like, yeah, we want him. And he said, for the first time in a hundred years since this place has been open, we're going to change the rules. And if we keep him for a week, if you give us a donation, you can get him in a week's time. And that's how we got Fred. To find out more about what Sean and 42 other 90s musicians are up to these days, my book Live Through That is available everywhere now. Head over to my website at hipphoto.com for a list of retailers. That's H-I-P-P-H-O-T-O.com. Uh, or just pay purchase at your favorite bookstore or website. And if you like this show, please subscribe, share, and tell your friends. We'll have new episodes out every Tuesday this fall. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.